Hey, Carol, guess what? One of our listeners has volunteered to grow bitter melon from seed and tell us all about it. That is awesome. Thank you, Marie. Yes, thank you, Marie. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. Way too many. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Good morning, Carol. Did you get out in the garden this week? Good morning, Dee. You know I did twice. I've cut back my hellebores and I cut back some grasses in the front. Oh, it was good to be out there. Well, because of you, I also cut back my hellebores and I worked two days in the garden this week. We had the most beautiful days in the 60s and even the 70s on the one day. And I cut back some grasses and I cut back my lavender, which you're really supposed to do in the fall, but I missed some of it. And here's the other good news. I have internet again. That is awesome, (laughs) T. That is very good news. I have three pieces of good news from my garden. Well, I want to hear it. So the first crocus showed up in the lawn on Sunday, and there were still two yesterday. And then yesterday, I was out looking at the snowdrops that are starting to bloom again, and I found a bee on it. I took a picture and put it on Instagram. So bees do come out in February if it's warm enough and there's flowers out there. And we're supposed to get more winter weather this week and possibility of snow, and my snowblower is being returned tomorrow, all fixed and ready to go. Awesome. That's good. It won't snow so much. Exactly. Now. I've jinxed <laughs> it fixed. for the good. <laughs> you know what? We're supposed to get ice tomorrow and I'm really hoping that's wrong because I've got, I've got to go to the foot doctor. I've got a babysit for Megan in the morning. And um, I also have another appointment. Oh, I have an appointment for, you know, women's stuff. That's all I'm going to say about it. Well, I hope we don't get ice either. And when this, the repair shop called and said, we're trying to get everything delivered by Wednesday because of the snow coming, I thought, snow coming? I should really look at the weather more often. Yeah, I should too. I've quit. I've quit. As you know, I've quit watching the news in the morning and um, I just catch up with Bill in the evening for a minute or two and I've been reading books. But uh, yeah, this morning I looked at it because I was like, oh, we're supposed to get ice. And I was going to tell you too that I had Irish reticulata blooming in my little spot next to my kitchen door. Nice. And it's a really protected area. So it's warmer, you know? And um, it's so cute and so small. And I posted that on Instagram too. That is great. I have seen little bits of Iris reticulata foliage, but I don't think I'll have any blooms for a little bit yet, especially with this cold front coming through. Stops everything. Yeah, this will slow everything down. And that's okay. We don't want to, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. No, we do not because we're still inherently lazy (laughs) and these kind of nice days to sit around and read and stuff like that. (laughs) It's nice to read. So you're going to do the quote, which is really a poem. I am. I got my poem reading voice going, excuse me. Here I go. Okay. I know a little cottage where everything's just right. The windows bloom with tulips at dusk. There's candlelight. The knotted oak beside it is webbed with ivy leaves 
and honeysuckle tangles in clusters round the eaves. The friendly gate swings open against the low stone wall where quaint old-fashioned blossoms design a paisley shawl. And up the winding pathway, the stones with moss are grown. I'd love this little cottage because it is my own. And that's a poem called Little Cottage by Virginia Washope Bass. I I love that poem. It it just it and I don't know I don't know when it was written. I was trying to look up while you were reading it when it was written. Although what? Ivy going up the knotted oak and honeysuckle tangling under the eaves. That just sounds like a mess that really does need to be cleaned up. Yeah, it's got a lot of ivy leaves too. Yeah, no, thank you. That would not be very good. That's true. But I do like the stones with moss. It's really yes. sweet. And design a paisley shawl to describe the flowers. I know. This is, it's one of, I like it a lot. We're like poetry critique, poem critiquers right now. <laughs> poem admirers. Let's say that. So our flower this week isn't really just a flower. No, you came up with this. Tell us about it. I came up with this because I was talking to somebody and I don't know who it was. Now I talked to a lot of people about gardening. Um, it's the stages of gardening and the first stage, you know, like the stages of grief, only this is the stages of gardening. The first stage That's is right. fantasy land. <laughs> fantasy land. Everything's going to be perfect. Every flower you're going to buy is going to grow. It's all going to work. It's going to be marvelous. It's going to be like the pictures in the magazines which were taken at one moment in time on the perfect day. And it does that person, even the person in the magazine, their garden does not always look like that. You know, I, no, I it's did been that staged. Exactly. I did that post years ago called um, tour gardens or pageant girls. And it's one of my favorite posts of all time. Oh yeah. They are pageant girls all dolled up. Got the bleach working on the teeth, all of it. Anyway. Um, so that's the first one is fantasy land that you are going to be the, the best gardener ever. And that can apply to houseplants too. And then, then there's denial, which is all about zone and place and placement. And the fact that we are always, when we first start, we try to grow way outside our zones. And, you know, I still do a little bit of it. I mean, there's some things I grow that are. Oh, I do too. 8A zone, but you know what? They die sometimes. And, um, and sometimes you can get away with some of it because you have microclimates um, like up here by the house, the little Irish reticulatas, I never could make them happy, not because of zone, but because I would scratch them up by accident or disturb them. And this little spot doesn't get disturbed. And so they like it there. That is nice. I cannot imagine even attempting anything in 8A because I'm 6A. And it's more like I'm on the very edge of 6A. It's almost like pushing the envelope is 6B for me sometimes. But I, I, I mean... I've got stuff on my blog, legendary stuff about trying to grow camellias and crazy things like that. <laughs> yeah. And I love snowdrops, but snowdrops do not like Oklahoma. So instead I, I make, I make do with Lacogum, which is the summer snowflake, which blooms in spring and spreads like crazy. And then the next stage would be the doldrums. And that's when people contact me a lot of times as a garden coach. Yeah. They're ready to throw in the towel. It's never going to work. Oh my gosh, the magazines. How do they do that? I, I, you know, two pages must have stuck together and the magic instructions were on those two pages. <laughs> yeah, there is no, I mean, there's magic, but it, it isn't magic to get things to grow. The magic happens after things do grow. When you eat that really good piece of lettuce 
or when you see that beautiful flower and that's the magic. Okay. So then you finally get to acceptance and happiness, which I think you and I are there. Yeah. Accepting your particular, uh, garden plot and your particular zone and what you can and cannot do. And, uh, but we still go through all four phases in little mini chunks sometimes, which is okay. Yeah. And some gardeners get stuck in a particular phase, like the people who want to grow the best of anything. And when you and I were talking about this earlier, you brought up, I brought up violets because violets are the only thing that spreads in my lawn, you know, other than weeds. And some people would argue that common violets are weeds, but they're pretty neat weeds. No, they're not. I don't think they are either. I think they're a wildflower. So you talked about, because I talked about violets, you talked about pansies and how people used to try to grow show pansies. Yes. In the 1800s, they said that the quest to get the perfect show pansy, which if you looked at the flower straight on, it would be a form a perfect circle. And then they they had all these criteria and they said they almost ruined the pansy trying to make it perfect. Well, that's not the only thing they've almost ruined. They also almost ruined um, roses because roses used to be only when I first got into roses and the decade before I was born. So I was born in 62. So let's say the decade of the fifties through the sixties. So two decades, they were, that was all about show roses. And show roses tended to be hybrid teas because they had a specific style and hybrid teas. They were like, they were like thoroughbred racehorses they were wheat. They were. And yeah, my dad always had a bed with like six or eight different hybrid teas and they would last about a year or so. Then just get all diseased and everything. And he'd chuck them out and get some more. Yeah. And there's still some of that. So now the rose industry, and we're going to talk about roses, I think, in a week or so, because I found some really cool information about them because I was buying some because my mother passed away and her name was Rose. And so I was going to plant a rose in her honor and I found one. And um, in the process of looking for that, I noticed that we have really, really moved to sustainability. It used to be you had to use all kinds of chemicals to keep roses going. They still are really heavy feeders, but they don't have to have all that. Think about dogs. I mean, anytime we try to achieve perfection, we just get stuck. That is true. And I think that's part of the whole cycle is finally realizing that uh, mother nature is really in charge. And if you end up, and I think more and more people are going this way, you end up with a garden that's nice and you've got birds and insects and it's just a nice ecosystem. I mean, that's what you really want. All that other stuff, trying to grow camellias in the Midwest or snowdrops in Oklahoma. That's just all, that's just crazy stuff that we do, but we're not going to get ourselves bent out of shape if it doesn't work out. Yeah. I mean, you can try anything you want. I think that that's okay. You can break those rules, but just don't get upset about it. If it doesn't work, just let it go. And that's right. And I, in my case, I just try not to use stuff that's going to hurt the creatures in my garden. Cause that I've come to enjoy um, the bird song and stuff more than anything else. Ditto here. So that was our flower topic. Give us a quote to take us into vegetables. Radishes grow just about anywhere. People think, oh, it's just a radish. But radishes are delicious and people don't think of cooking them. Emeril Lagasse, who I really like. I like Emeril. And I, I know we've talked about radishes before and you probably said, oh, Carol, you need to cook them. They're so delicious. And oh, Carol did not cook her radishes. She still just eats them raw. 
You might try them. You might try them. I think you'd like that cherry bell. So the reason we brought radishes this time was because we were talking a couple of weeks ago about the chef's garden, that book that we first got from the library, but then we both went out and bought it because it was that good. Yes. And it wasn't so much the recipes in it. It was all of his information about vegetables, things that I didn't know, like radishes. The epiphany of radishes. We were not thinking it through, D. Why we failed with some radishes in the spring. It's because there are spring radishes and then there are fall winter radishes. I never knew. <laughs> no. So cherry bell, French breakfast, Easter egg. They're very quick to grow in the spring. Um, sometimes three to four weeks and you got re- ready to harvest. Mm-hmm. So then those those are delicious and you eat them just as soon as you pick them. Then the ones we failed with, like daikon, black, watermelon, they turn out to be a fall slash winter radish that is grown over a longer period of time. So you start them in late summer, I would say, and they are meant to be stored longer, more of a root crop. So. This has been like this whole eye-opening thing for us. Yes, and there's even something called a summer radish, which is the icicle radish. Now, I have not grown daikon radishes. I have grown black radishes, but I I thought they were unappetizing looking, so I didn't eat them very well. Um, I don't like black vegetables. And then the watermelon radish is the darling of the food world. You know, it's that one that has got the beautiful pink and green and I have grown it and I did. Okay. I must've started it in fall. Yeah. I just didn't know it was a fall radish. The other thing about it is uh, a lot of people don't realize that if you're thinning out radishes, say you sewed them too thick, those thinnings, you can eat them leaves and all yes. leaves and roots and everything. And those are delicious. So Think about harvesting at different phases. And Dee's, Dee's holding up a package of microgreen, jazzy mix from Botanical Interests. Yes, the microgreens, the jazzy mix, which is um, delicious and it has radishes in it. I was looking to see what else it says. Yeah, it has, it doesn't tell me what's in it, but I know it has radishes in it. I'm sure somewhere on here it tells me. But anyway, it was really good. And I actually, grew these and I need to grow some more and it's a little bit peppery. And the cool thing about it is it tastes really good. I put some on some carrot soup. It was a cream of carrot soup and I put the jazzy mix on top and a few pumpkin seeds. Oh my, that was good. That does sound good. And actually I bought from another company, a microgreen mix that is all radishes. And so I need to try, I haven't tried them yet, but it's all radishes. So we're going to do that this week. That'll be part of our garden commissions. We're going to sow some more microgreens. We are? Yeah. Are you, are you commanding me? I'm not commanding you to do anything, but I'm going to do it. I know better okay. than to tell you to do anything. You won't listen. <laughs> I do listen sometimes. Let's move on. Here's a quote to take us into our book topic. If you cannot read all your books, fondle them, peer into them, let them fall open where they will. Read from the first sentence that arrests the eye. Set them back on the shelves with your own hands. Arrange them on your own plan so that you at least know where they are. Let them be your friends. Let them, at any rate, be your acquaintances. And that is from Winston Churchill. Dee, I feel like <laughs> I feel like going out to Canva and making a little print of that 
and hanging it up here in this room where there's all these books and in the library where there's more books and, you know, I need multiple sites for the multiple places. Yeah, we are, we are sick with books. So this week on our bookshelf is the Regenerative Garden, 80 Practical Projects for Creating a Self-Sustaining Garden Ecosystem by Stephanie Rose, who also wrote Garden Alchemy. And I think she also had a blog, but I don't remember for sure. I know too many people from GardenCom and too many people who had blogs. But look at this cover. Isn't it pretty? That is a gorgeous cover of that book. It's like all different plants and they put them in this it's like a collage and it's just beautiful. It's things you can eat and things that are just beautiful. Mostly things you can eat. Probably don't want to eat that boxwood, but the other stuff you could definitely eat. So um, at first, this book looks like it is for beginners. But as we've gotten into it, no, it's actually got some really complicated ideas. Which is good. So it can appeal to all kinds of gardeners. And I was reading about planting a guild. Guild. Why did I say guild? Guild. A guild garden, I knew what you meant. which is a collection uh-huh. of plants that all provide functions to work together as a system. And that's just um, a different con- a different way of looking at the concept of a garden as a system. You know, plants that provide nourishment to other plants or the appropriate shade or support or whatever. I thought that was a really interesting concept. It takes the concept of um, companion planting to a new level. Yeah, the Three Sisters Garden that we've talked about extensively is a good example of one. And then she also has this um, this very interesting thing called a wicking bed, where it, it gets water, it creates a water reservoir under the soil of a garden bed, and it captures water runoff to fill the reservoir. So it's it's sort of like those pots that were really, really popular and kind of still are that um, have reservoirs of water at the bottom of them. And then the plants are able to not have to have so much water. So I, I've never heard of building a wicking bed. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And she's got a whole section on hugel culture, which is also an interesting concept about how to build raised beds, especially if you have really poor soil. And we saw examples of Hugel culture in Los Angeles when we were there in Pasadena for Garden Yes, Com, we did. Which is the first time I'd seen that. So, you know, so there's some really good concepts in here. And um, we should tell our listeners when they run out to buy this book, it's coming out on March the 15th. Yeah, you could order ahead and... Uh... And it'll come when it's ready. She also has a really extensive section on espalier, which I also mentioned in my book. Um, Espalier is a great way to grow uh, trees, especially fruiting trees in a small space and also to get them to be more productive. And she shows in her particular one, there are lots of different ways of doing it. Mine was very simple because mine was for, it was a beginner's book. Hers is a little more complicated. Oh, and I love this idea of bee borders. You know, where you border the like a section of your garden with bee loving plants so that you can pull in pollinators. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And we've talked about that some. So I feel like that this is one of those books that it does. It pays to spend some time with it, you know, a la the Winston Churchill quote, open it up and see where it leads you. And uh, the pictures are really, really good. And I noticed some pictures of some of our other gardening friends in there. It is kind of interesting. She got some really good pictures and she took some. So there's a lot of different, like all of, this is a Quartro, isn't it? A Quartro book. 
Yes. Yeah. Like all of them, there are, um, what am I trying to think of things to do? Okay. Creative projects. Um, and so she's taking a lot of those pictures, but then I also see, yeah, there's some, if there are some really good, good things in here, she talks about keyhole beds, which they did on Oklahoma gardening, um, last year, I think, which is cool too. Oh, and look livestock and show, see what she shows a beehive. Yes. There's all kinds of good information because bees are considered livestock. It's if they're not, according to um, the United States, they're part of the agriculture system like chickens. Yes, they are. So anything else you want to say? I want to say that I think that this is a very interesting book with a lot of great ideas and I'm going to spend some more time perusing through it to get my chops ready for the gardening season, so to speak. Maybe I'll come up with some new crazy idea. Oh, that'd be fun. I'd love for you to do that. Uh, I don't come up with many. (laughs) The name of the book is The Regenerative Garden, 80 Practical Projects for Creating a Self-Sustaining Garden Ecosystem by Stephanie Rose. Very nice. You're on with the next quote. A gentle person treads lightly, listens carefully, looks tenderly, and touches with reverence. That's by Henri Nguyen. And he's, he was a priest and um, I, he has a lot of beautiful quotes and I've read, I've read several of his books. I thought that one fit with our dirt topic. Yes. Tell us about our dirt topic because you're the one who came up with it. So it's the Cornell bird cams. And so Cornell university is the place where people go to study ornithology and birds and stuff. And I remembered that when I go to the bird feed store, wild birds unlimited, they always have us, they have a TV up in the corner that shows live bird cams of bird feeders at Cornell that attract all kinds of different birds. And so you can go out to Cornell's website and click and then just watch a couple of different feeders. Mm, that's cool. Systems and see all the birds that come in. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think, you know, if you just want something on in the background, you could just put this on in the background and just you know, it's like having a feeder outside your window. Yeah. Especially if you were um, like in my mom's case, if my mom had been into birds, it would have been really good for her because she would have felt like she was outdoors instead of being assisted living. So that, that would be a great idea for places. I know that nursing homes, a lot of times have bird feeders right outside the window. And Bill's dad had bird feeders outside his window at heaven house. And um, that he and the ladies that work there, especially as he got to where he wasn't able to get up so well, they would fill them for him so that he could watch the birds all day. That's neat. Yeah. My mom had a bird feeder when she was in the nursing home and uh, eventually a squirrel came and sort of she and her caregivers sort of adopted this squirrel, which was kind of nice. When you went to visit, you had to make sure that, you know, bring, I was in charge of bringing the bird seed most of the time and making sure that feeder was full (laughs) and, you know, it's like, Carol, the bird feeder needs to be filled. Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's really sweet. Once a squirrel came, I was having to go every day to fill that dumb thing. (laughs) So do you want to do the next quote? Yes. May I live this day compassionate of heart clear in word, gracious in awareness, courageous in thought, generous in love, John O'Donohue. And that carries us into our rabbit holes. And your rabbit hole is an author. Yes, my rabbit hole is the author Barbara Pym, P-Y-M. And in the 1970s, she was named the most underrated author of the century. 
a list of them. And so she was the only one on the list who was still alive. And, and she had written five or six novels in the fifties. And then as the sixties dawn and she went to her publisher with her latest book, they says, Oh, you know what? Nobody wants to read those kinds of books anymore. And so it wasn't until she got on this list of underrated writers that then she ended up publishing a couple more books in the seventies before she passed away. They're very charming. They're about, you know, they're spinsters in, I would say the 1950s and there's you know, always centers around the church and the vicar and there's not tons of plot to them, but they're very charming. So I've read four of them already. And then I discovered that there was a Barbara Pym society because um, yes, I, I made a post of some of the quotes about gardening. The books aren't about gardening, but I made a quote about the post that she had, or let me back up. I made a blog post about the quotes about gardening that Barbara Pym had in her novels. Uh And our good friend, Kathy Purdy from cold climate gardening commented. And she said, did you know there's a Barbara Pym society? I did not. So I explored all that. Then I discovered that a woman named Paula Byrne wrote a biography called The Adventures of Miss Barbara Pym that is out in the UK, doesn't come out in the United States until June. But Paula Byrne also wrote a biography called Kick, the story of JFK's sister and the heir to Chatsworth, which, you know, Dee, I'm reading that now. And I'm right back in thinking about Debo, the Dev- the Duchess of Devonshire. Yeah. Which was the obsession last summer. So I feel like I went down a rabbit hole and I'm in a new part of the rabbit hole. It's like, oh, I've been in this part of the rabbit hole before. (laughs) It does tend to work out that way where you start at one thing and then you just come back to that point, make a big circle. I love that. So your rabbit hole is very sweet and very um, serendipitous, I guess. I think so. Yeah. I do. So Bill and I went to the Tulsa Vintage Show last Saturday, and we used to go to this, um, not all the time, but, you know, quite a few times. And we decided we were going to run up there and do it. So we got up there on Saturday and I was walking through the booth. And the first booth that I really walked to, I saw this red and white quilt out of the corner of my eye, which you just don't find red and white quilts that easy. And I collect them. And so I like I, I have a collection of quilts that are applique embroidered and red and white. They're not all those things. I mean, some of them aren't red and white, but they're applique. Does that make sense? It does. So I have a specific thing I collect and um, I saw that red and white one and usually red and white quilts are in pretty bad shape. And anyway, this lady said, would you like to see it? And I said, yes. And she held it out and I realized, oh my goodness, it's a memorial quilt. And it has it has a song lyric, which is also a song title on it. Anyway, it's really cool because the song lyric and title is I'll be with you when the roses bloom again. Very sweet. Yeah, it is. So I, I bought it. Well, the nice, okay. So this lady said the reason I bought it years ago at an estate sale was because my sister loved roses and she died. And so I thought, I should have it. And she goes, and I haven't gotten it out because I forgot I had it. And she said, I pulled it out today. And normally I would have pulled it out before Christmas time because that's when they sell really well. And I thought, hmm. And there's no reason that this quilt should have been there the second day. And I said, well, you're going to be really glad I'm going to buy this because my mother's name was Rose. 
and I love roses. And so I bought it and I've written a blog post about it, which we'll link to, like just like we're going to link to your blog post about Barbara Pym. And it's a really enjoyable read because it, it, I went down a rabbit hole of finding out what the things on the quilt meant. And I thought that was really neat. That is very, very neat. Very neat. One of my favorite posts I did this year. So very nice. So let's talk about our garden commissions. I didn't write one down. So why don't you go first and then I'll think about mine. (laughs) So my garden commission is survive another winter blast and really, really, really think hard about doing those early, early seeds because time's a wasting. Yeah. And like I said, my snowblower is coming back. Maybe that'll ward off winter. And then apparently uh, I am commanded to start some microgreens and I need to start more microgreens. I'm fresh out now. I ate the last of them last week. So Mm -hmm. I do need to start some more microgreens. And I think I'm going to dive down into that bunch of radish seeds that I got and give those a whirl. I think that'd be really fun. Um, I'm right there with you. We're supposed to get an ice storm and I'm not looking forward to it at all. Um, Well, let's hope it's not too bad. And then um, I'm going to sow my microgreens and Yesterday I went through, I forgot to mention this. I went through and I cut everything back in the greenhouse because this is that time of year where you cut all the pelargoniums and the coleus back because they're growing too tall. So I did all that. So I'm going to continue to keep things alive because I did forget to water for two days and I almost killed some things, which I'd be really upset about, but I didn't, they aren't dead. Um, what else I should, if we get a nice warm day, which it looks like it's going to be next week, it's time for me to sow things outside, like my onion sets and, you know, things like that. So I'm going to try to do that. Well, and we are still three weeks or more away from sowing anything outside. So we shall see what happens. Yeah. You've got some time. We do. And that is it for this week's episode. We apologize if our internet issues caused any disturbances that Carol could not edit out. And we want to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelus. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Also hit the subscribe button so you don't miss anything. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your gardening friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.